Numbers 10, verse 29. Numbers 10, verse 29. We've been in this series called Boundaries. Numbers 10, verse 29 says this. One day Moses said to his brother-in-law, Hobab, son of Reuel the Midianite, we are on our way. We are on our way to the place the Lord promised us. For he said, I will give it to you. We are on our way to the place the Lord promised us. They'd been set free from slavery in Egypt. It was miraculous what had occurred. They'd been set free, and now they were on their way to the promised land. They were entering into new territory. They were leaving the old place, entering into the new place. But when you enter into new territory... It means you're leaving some of the comforts. You're leaving some of what you knew behind. It means you're leaving behind your old life. No matter what your old life was, it's hard to leave the comfortable for the unknown. Chapter 11, verse 1. They're on their way to the promised land. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship. This is a common theme all throughout on their journey to the promised land. And the Lord heard everything they said. Sometimes we think we, we can just kind of say something or even think something. It's like, this is just me. This is just me. I, I don't need to, you know, nobody needs to know. He knows. Just so you know, he knows. The Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them. And he sent a fire to rage among them, and he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help, and when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabera, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. They just saw a fire break out from the Lord for complaining. And that still doesn't stop them. They're still going to complain again. They were craving the good things of Egypt. The people of Israel also began to complain over some meat. They exclaimed, we remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone, and all we ever see is this manna. Just so you know, manna was a miracle. It it was the way that God was providing for them in the wilderness. He was literally raining down food from heaven. And it wasn't good enough. They got old. Sometimes we've seen the miracles, we've seen God move, we've seen him deliver in our lives, and it just becomes old to us, and it just becomes stale, and we're just looking to the next thing, and we take God and what he has done in our lives, we take it for granted.
They were on their way at this time to the promised land, but instead they kept looking back on Egypt. But they had forgotten what they had said about Egypt. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. This is back when they were slaves in Egypt. Years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. They didn't like slavery. But now that they were freed from slavery, and they were walking in the wilderness, and they were having to trust God for provision day by day, they started to miss slavery. In fact, they started to romanticize their slavery. They started to look back on it and say, those were the good old days. We had melons and leeks and onions and garlic. We had all this. We had meat. And you also had whips and chains and 12-hour work days in the hot sun with no relief. You were a slave. But the further we get from the past, the easier it is for us to romanticize it. The easier it is for us to look back and long for it. And that's what they were doing here in this moment. As they were on their way to the promised land, they began to look back and long for what they used to live, what they used to experience. Numbers 11, verse 7. The manna, it looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow with gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot, made it into flat cakes. These cakes tasted like pastries. They baked them with olive oil. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. Moses heard. God heard. They knew. And the Lord became extremely angry. Moses was also aggravated. And Moses said to the Lord, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Have mercy on me. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? Why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a mother carries a nursing baby? How can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people? They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. We talked about boundaries. We've been talking about them. And some of us, we have these people in our lives that all they do is complain, criticize, they whine, they gossip. At a certain point, you have to draw a line in the sand and tell that person, you won't hear it anymore. You won't listen to it anymore. You love them. You care for them. It it could be a friend. It could be a family member. It it could be somebody extremely close to you, but you have to create a boundary and tell them you can't listen to this anymore because this spirit, this spirit that they're listening to, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's a bitter, 
an envious spirit. It's a jealous spirit. It's a spirit that leads to death. Moses felt like dying rather than dealing with whining. He didn't want to be around it anymore. And so if you have some of these people in your life, you have to create a boundary. You have to tell them, I can't listen to this anymore. We can be friends. We can, you know, have a relationship. But if you're going to continue to speak these things, if you're going to continue to say these things, then I have to separate myself from this. There has to be a boundary from this spirit because it creates sickness within us. Sometimes we think criticism is a spiritual gift. We think, oh, I can give helpful criticism. No, no, no. You can go through the fruits of the Spirit. You can go through all the spiritual gifts. Criticism is not in there. Go ahead, go look at Galatians. Go look at Corinthians. He never lists criticism. Complaining and whining is cancer to the body. It spreads like a disease. It spreads like cancer. It starts small in one little corner, one little pocket, but then it spreads, and this fear begins to spread throughout the camp. That's what was happening from tent to tent, whining and complaining all throughout. Numbers 12, verse 1. It eventually spread into the leadership. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron, Aaron was Moses' brother, Miriam was his sister, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. All the complaining, all the whining, eventually you just keep looking for more and more things because it just feels good, right? Everybody else is complaining, everybody else is whining, everybody else is criticizing, let's just join in. Let's just see what else we can pick apart. And they said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Once again, he hears everything. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. This is funny because Moses wrote this. He had to just drop that in there. Don't forget, guys, I was pretty humble. So it's like John saying, hey, I'm the disciple Jesus loved. And John also mentioning he beat Peter in a foot race to the empty tomb. I love it. Like these Bible authors, they're real people. You know, it's like... I'd probably drop something like that in if he had let me write something. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not... With my servant Moses of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? We're quick to criticize those in leadership. We're quick to complain about those in leadership. It's easy to look at somebody in a leadership position and say, I could do it better. I know more. I have more experience. I, where they're going, what they're doing. Where, let me just tell you something. Be careful when you criticize those in leadership 
because God establishes all authority. Walk wisely and don't go running in to criticism in these situations. It doesn't matter if it's the president, the governor. It doesn't matter if it's a police officer, your pastor, your husband. If God establishes authority and you truly believe that, you believe what his word says, be careful before you criticize. Be careful before you complain. The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, Oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. So Moses interceded. He cried out to the Lord, Oh, God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had done nothing more than spit in her face, wouldn't she be defiled for seven days? So keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside the camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. Then they left Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. When she came against God's man, the man that he had chosen, the man he had established in the place of leadership, that he had built up and prepared in the wilderness as a shepherd for this moment in time to lead and shepherd his people. She didn't just come against God's man, she came against God. He had called him, chosen him, prepared him. And she came against what God wanted to do through him. Don't go against what God is doing. Don't go against who God has called and raised up and established in leadership. Get in line or get out. You're safer going out on your own than trying to stir up rebellion and strife inside of God's house, inside of what God has established. Miriam got struck with leprosy for her sin and not honoring the authority God had established. I've been rebellious most of my life. I've been guilty of this sin. I've been guilty of complaining and going against what God has established. And I didn't realize when I was doing that, I was going against God. I've done it time and time again, and I justified it in my own mind every time. I said, it's fine. Really, I'm doing God's work right now. He wants me to come against this person. He wants me to help put this person back in alignment. And more often than not, God corrected and rebuked me in each and every one of those moments. She had to spend time outside of the camp. If someone close to you betrays you, hurts you, goes after you, if they're stirring up rebellion within your marriage, within your house, within your family, within your friendships, if they're stirring up strife, it's okay to separate yourself from them for for a time, to create a boundary. It's okay to put them outside of your camp. It doesn't have to be forever. You can let them back in when the time is right again, when you can tell that there's been healing that has taken place. 
There's somebody that's distracted you and pulled you away from your relationship to the Lord. It might be time to create that boundary and put them outside of the camp in your life. Some of you in here, you feel like you've been set outside the camp from people in your life. You feel like Miriam right now. You have been set out and you've been isolated from people in your life that you love, that you care for, and you can't believe that they would do this for you or to you. Really, it is for you. It's for your own good. Stop complaining and being bitter and get better. If you've been pushed outside the camp, Sit with the Holy Spirit, sit with a pastor, sit with a mentor, sit with somebody and give them 100% permission to tell you the truth about you, to give them the green light to expose every blind spot that you have. It'll hurt. It'll really hurt. But you can't heal unless you go through the hurt. And when you give them that green light to help you see the blind spots that you have to help you see why you've been put outside the camp in your life and the lives of these people, all of a sudden the healer is going to have room to do what he wants to do in your life. Because everything that you've put before the healer, all these relationships, all these friendships, all this that you've put the value in on your life, that you've put before God, it's become an idol to you. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is to be put outside the camp where you're isolated and alone and there's no one else to turn to but him. To sit in his presence and learn to listen again and to learn to walk in obedience to his voice again. Because he wants to heal you. He wants to make you whole. He wants to repair every hurt, wound within you. To line you up with his will and his word to repair everything that the world has broken because his word brings healing. That's what his word does. The more you sit with his word and the more you let it do a work within you, there is healing to your bones, physically and spiritually. There's people in here today, you're sick, you're not well. You don't feel well. And I'm telling you, there is something tied to your physical sickness, your physical ailment, the ache within you that is going on, and it is tied spiritually to what's happening within you. And if you would go to his word and let it be healing ointment for you, you begin to see healing physically and not just spiritually. If you want that today, you can have that. You can receive that. Tell him that you're ready to be healed. Turn to him. And you're going to notice as he is doing this healing work, you're going to get invited back into those camps you've been put outside of. You're going to be invited back into community again with people that you thought you had been estranged from, separated from, that you wouldn't have the relationship that you ever thought possible. He'll make it possible. But don't let it be an idol in your life. Chapter 13 in Numbers. The Lord now said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I am giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. 
These were the tribes and the names of their leaders. So he gets these 12 men, and he sent them out to explore the new territory. This is it. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And they're sending spies to scout out this territory ahead of them. Chapter 13, verse 17. Moses gave the men these instructions. As he sent them out to explore the land, go north through the Negev into the hill country. See what the land is like and find out whether the people living there are strong or weak, few or many. See what kind of land they live in. Is it good or bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went out and they explored the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob near Labo, Hamath. Going north, they passed through the Jeb and arrived at Hebron where Ahaman, Shishai, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak, lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zoan. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, so large it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also brought back samples of the pomegranates and figs. That place was called the valley of Eshkol, which means cluster, because of the cluster of grapes the Israelite men cut there. It was huge, it was good land. Numbers 13, verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the whole community of Israel at Kadesh in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and indeed it is a beautiful country. Of course it is. This is the promised land. This is the land God had told them about, that they were looking forward to, that they had left Egypt for. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here's the kind of fruit it produces. Fruit so big, it takes multiple people to carry it. Think of it. You can go to Costco and pick up one thing of grapes, and it's no big deal. They couldn't even carry a branch of these grapes by themselves. People living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites lived in the Negev and the Hittites. Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. The Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. Caleb could sense the fear rising. He knew what was going on. And he tried to speak and prophesy faith in that moment. Caleb tried to quiet the people as they were speaking in fear. And he said, let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who, exp- who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. 
Numbers 14. Verse 1, then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron, they fell face down on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had explored explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, they tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is rich and flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They're only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. They kept trying to prophesy in the name of the Lord. But the spirit of fear spreads quick. The spirit of fear is that cancer that spreads from one person to the next, and it spreads fast and quick throughout the entire camp. They were prophesying in fear, 14 verse 3, our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. They're prophesying by the spirit of fear. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. For God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. If fear, anxiety, and worry are in your driver's seat in your life, you are not hearing the Holy Spirit. That's a lying and deceiving spirit. That's a spirit that wants you to go back to your old life. That's a spirit that wants you to go back to slavery. That's a spirit that wants you to go back to Egypt because all you can see ahead of you is giants. This new territory he's calling you into, all you can see is what's ahead of you. And they look like giants, and you feel like a grasshopper in comparison. And the battle ahead of you looks hopeless. When you are entering into new territory, it's going to feel hopeless. It's going to feel intimidating in moments. And you're going to keep looking for God to deliver you the same way he did in the last season. He's not going to deliver you the same way. There's no sea he's parting this time. In that last moment, he told you to stand and wait on the shore and you saw him move and you saw him part the sea. He's doing it in a new way in this next season. You keep looking for him to deliver the same way he did in the last season. He doesn't do it the same way he does in the new season. No, in this new season, he's telling you to pick up a sword and fight. In this new season, he's telling you to pick up your sword and go forward by faith, even when you're facing giants. The spirit of fear wants you to quit. The spirit of fear doesn't want you to move forward into this new territory because he knows that if you enter into this new territory, God is going to move and make a way just like he did in the last season. Because that's who he is and that's what he does. He comes through and he delivers. That's what Joseph and Ke- that's what Joshua and Caleb kept trying to prophesy to these people. They are nothing. We'll go in and we will conquer them in the name of the Lord. 
Worship team, you guys can come up as we get ready to close out here. Numbers 14, verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? Yes, I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old or older and was included in the registration will die. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. You said your children would be carried off as plunder? Well, I will bring them safely into the land and they will enjoy what you have despised. Everything they said that would happen to their children, that they would be plunder, God said, no, 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 they're going to do the plundering. They're going to walk into the promised land 40 years from now. And they're going to do what you were afraid to do. They're going to move by faith when you moved by fear. They're going to reap the rewards that you missed out on. You get to live in the wilderness still. You get 40 years in the wilderness, but you miss out on the promised land because you move by fear and not by faith. You said your children would be carried off as plunder. Well, I will bring them safely into the land. But as for you, you will drop dead in the wilderness and your children will be like shepherds, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of your lies, until the last of you lies dead in the wilderness. There's still a cost for their sin of faithlessness. It still robs their kids of 40 years that they could have spent in the promised land. Our sin doesn't just affect us. It affects generations after us. Our faithlessness doesn't just affect us. It affects generations after us. Our complaints, our criticism, our gossip, the words that we speak, whether out of faith or fear, they will affect generations after us. Joshua and Caleb were blessed and their families were blessed because they walked in faith. They spoke by faith. Ten men Moses had sent to explore the land, the ones who incited rebellion against the Lord with their bad report. They were struck dead with a plague before the Lord. Of the twelve who had explored the land, only Joshua and Caleb remained alive. They didn't get plundered. They did the plundering, those kids, 40 years later. They got to be the generation stepping into the promised land. They got to be the generation stepping into the fullness God had promised them. They got to see the miracles. They got to see the walls of Jericho come down. They got to see God make the sun stand still. They got to see the promises that God had given their parents and their grandparents the chance to step into all those years before. They got to see them come to fruition. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit again in this season. Learn to listen 
and to walk by faith and not fear. Learn to discern his voice blowing in the wind, living in the pages of this book, speaking and cutting between spirit and soul. He's got something for you in this season, and it's not fear. It's not anxiety. It's not worry. It's faith. It's going forward. It's picking up your sword and learning to fight, learning to battle. Whatever giants you're facing, learning to move in confidence, knowing he's given you full authority to walk in this world, to take new territory in his son Jesus' name, to set captives free, to heal the sick, so that the blind can see and the deaf can hear all in the name of Jesus, casting out demons by his name. And we forget the past. We forget slavery. We don't romanticize it. And we take our eyes off the fear of the future. And we focus on right here, right now, today, and what he's promised us. That he's provider, that he is good, that he walks with us, that he lives within us. That we won't live in the past. We won't walk in fear of the future. We were slaves to sin, but Christ has set us free. The demons know you're free, but they still want you to live in fear of what's to come. They whisper the lies to you. And when he whispers the lies, we worship in truth. Church, would you stand as we get ready to worship in truth in this moment. We worship in spirit and truth. We're going to sing words in this moment and we're going to shout them back to every lie that's been spoken over us, that's been spoken to us, that the enemy wants us to believe today. We won't listen to the lies. We'll worship instead because what worked in the last season, it won't work in this season. This is a word for somebody in here today. You keep waiting for him to deliver like he did in the past, but he's got a new battle and a new way for you to fight in this next season. Because what worked in Egypt, when God brought the plagues, when God parted the sea, the Israelites, they were expecting it again. They wanted him to move and for them to be able to just stand still. But that was for that time and that season. In this next season, he's asking you to pick up your sword and enter the land. You've heard the stories of the giants. You've heard the rumors. The fear has been building for a long time. It's building up inside of you for what's ahead in this next season. And you keep waiting for him to part the sea, but this time he's told you, pick it up and go to war. Work. You've seen him make a way in your life, and you've seen him part the waters. But now it's time to put on the full armor of God to carry your sword, to carry your shield. You never wanted to be a warrior. You just wanted the promised land without raising your hand. But in this season, you've got to raise both hands in worship. That's what we're going to do. When we raise our hands in worship, we're going to war against every lie that's come against us from the enemy. Your words create the world that you live in. You can create a world of fear or you can create a world of faith. When we worship by faith in what we can't see, we're creating a new world that the enemy cannot overcome. We're creating a world that God has promised you, and we're going to walk in that today through the way we worship.